man, and sport. A timeless means of entertainment. Some men hit home runs. Others are curb stumped. Some win Cy Youngs. Others get dunked on. Some men become MVPs. Others have 70 saves in a game. But your stats won't matter here. Here we discuss the issues. Search the hearts of men. And judge in vivid detail. Only raw takes will do. This is sports analysis. This is sports unchained. This is Sportico. Hey guys, Sporticus is all over social media. You can find us on Rockfin. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Anchor, Twitter, and Patreon. All under Sporticus or Sporticus Live. Come holla at us. What is up, everyone? It is Sporticus MMA time, brought to you by MMA Torch. I am your host today, riding the solo train. It is Side Mount Sam, rather. How is everyone doing after this weekend? I just have to say, I am very excited to talk about this card. Unfortunately, Sean and I couldn't coordinate schedules in time. He's got a busy week ahead of him. I have a little bit more free time, so here I am. I am going to bring you all the good stuff about this last weekend. Maybe some extra stuff, too. So, how is everyone? I am doing great. I loved this card this weekend. It was UFC 261. It was the much-anticipated rematch between Kamaru Usman and Jorge Masdevall. And I have to tell you guys... Coming into this fight before Saturday, I was telling anyone who would listen, anyone who's a fan of fighting, anyone who was thinking about watching it or maybe not, I told everyone to make it a priority for your day. You know, <laughs> it's it's kind of funny, too. You tell people, hey, like, you know, are you interested in the UFC? Oh, yeah, I love watching fights. Well, are you watching this weekend? No. Okay, well, then don't tell me you love watching the fights if it's a big knock coming into a triple championship card. Like, come on, man. Who are you fooling? Just watch. I was like, well, it's 70 bucks. All right, well, you know, I'm not going to encourage people to illegally stream, but I'm, I am encouraging people to watch it. So, I mean, 70 bucks, uh, man, if you don't have it, you don't have it. And I, and I have much respect for those that don't. You know, everyone's situation is different. But if that's the case, hey, man, some websites that you can find online um, might have it for free. I don't know. But, um, I think you'll have to you'll have to find those uh you know on your on your own or 
from a friend because I do not have any. Um, in fact, I actually am a full subscriber to the ESPN Plus app, um, and I buy every card whenever I can. Um, if money is an issue, then I, you know, I, I really try to keep up on the fights in some way. So that's all I'll say about that. Um, I want you guys to understand one thing about this podcast and about what Sean and I really want to accomplish with it. We are trying to get you guys excited about this sport. And oh man, if you are on the fence, this last Saturday had everything. So <laughs> strap in, guys. We're about to get down to the nitty gritty. But a few things that I want to take care of first. Number one, I do want to talk more about Sean not being here. Sean, if you're listening, which I know you will be because I'm sending this to you. Man, I'm already feeling pretty good about this podcast. I uh, think I might go solo. Nah, I'm just kidding. I miss your brother. We'll uh, we'll coordinate soon and we'll get more of these podcasts going as our schedules even out a little bit. But Sean is my friend and my host, my actual host of this show. I am just filling in right now and... If you don't miss him, you should, because he brings a great element to this show, and, well, I couldn't be here and doing this without him, so, I mean, that that's enough said right there, right? Like, <laughs> um, But Sean would also want me to hit all the highlights of this last weekend, including, you know, the prelim cards and everything, and I watched all of them. I watched the earlies, the prelims, and the main, and, you know, I, I have to say that coming into the even the prelim fights i was excited and i just i gotta i gotta be honest i didn't know any of the people that were fighting on the prelim cards the earlies or the the main prelims <laughs> um it, it was really interesting to see since the espn plus deal has gone down with ufc well that in, in, a, in a large way really made the ufc a sport you know what i mean like a a, a bona fide baseball football basketball type of sport and it's it's gaining so much traction now because people who have espn plus apps for other reasons now they're being exposed to mma and there's a lot of content on there there's not as much as there probably could be but there's a lot of ufc content on there and it, you know i mean uh, at least the last couple that i've tried to tried to watch uh after the ufc event it'll let you go back and rewatch them you know so if you're already paying for the app, I mean, there's some more, or I mean, if you're not already paying for the app, if you're not already paying for the app, I would suggest considering it. Um, I don't, I don't mean to plug ESPN right here. Uh, it's more of a Disney thing and I love Disney, but I'm not trying to plug them. Just saying if you're a fight fan and just can't get enough fight content, it's all there. So I, when it, when it comes down to these fights, I like to sit there and watch if I can and have the, have the time through my day. I like to rewatch, you know, each fighter that's in the main cards last fight. And, you know, being a rematch, uh, like an immediate rematch between these two, uh, or pretty, pretty immediate, like the last fight either of them have was, uh, Kamar Usman beat Gilbert Burns after Gilbert Burns absolutely rocked him in the first round. And then Kamar Usman just put a stop to that, you know, so. <laughs> coming into this fight, I was rewatching that. I was like, all right, well, hey, man, Usman's human, dude. He has a chin. He has a button you can push. How big that button is and where it is on his face, I don't really know, man. Gilbert Burns seemed to find at least get close to it. So I don't 
I'm thinking about the first Mazdaval fight too, which I did rewatch, and oh man, that was so exciting. And you you really get in you really get into the the nitty gritties of the the exchanges that Burns and Usman had, which was after the uh, Mazdaval fight, right? The first Mazdaval fight, and <laughs> both Mazdaval and Gilbert Burns together might be combined at the level that Usman is now apparently at, you know, but that's combined, man. Both of them are severely lacking. And after this weekend, whew, if, if you were still doubting Kamar Usman, like I have been doubting him, oh, you, you, you gotta, you gotta reconsider. You gotta reconsider because Kamar Usman is here to stay. And that Nigerian power, that African power, that Cameroonian power, that African power, that is just on display. You have three bona fide champions right now. Izzy Adesanya, Kamara Usman, and Francis Ngannou. They are representing their home countries about as well as you you can represent your home country, man. Like, think about like when Conor McGregor won and just how, like how many more Irish fans there were at press conferences or weigh-ins or UFC events or even the fight nights when, you know, when like Joe Duffy would fight or, you know, if there's another Irish fighter on the car, like, a, like, a, was it Paul Felder is also pretty Irish. Like there's a lot of people that rep the Irish flag. And that's, that's in large part because of people like Conor McGregor winning championships and putting them on the map. And, you know, up until now, man, like, there, there's been good African-American fighters, but there's never been like true African champions. And we have three of them right now. And dude, it is, it is impressive. Just like the Polish, you know, with Jan Blachowicz and, you know, uh, what is a, Joanna and Jacek, the, the striking levels that are coming out of Poland now because of the standard that fighters like that have set. Same thing with Africa, same thing with, you know, China with Zhang Wei Li. There's so many of these countries per, just producing I mean, I think the scariest one is probably Dagestan. Like, look at look at Khabib, and then look at everyone who's followed him since. Nobody tries to wrestle somebody from Dagestan. Does anyone notice that, or is that just me? I mean, yeah, you could try your stand up with them, and maybe you'll catch one of them. But damn, there that Dagestani wrestling core. Whew, I don't know what it is, but I I buy it. I do buy it. <laughs> you know, so like it 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 is it's such an exciting time right now to be a fight fan. And, you know, I keep, I keep, you know, deviating from the point, but the point is this, this weekend with these, you know, these early prelims, we had a, we had a bunch of guys I've never heard of, you know? And I, I honestly, like looking back on all the names, I, I only heard them once when I was watching. And I mean, a couple of times while I was, but like just the one day and I, I can't pronounce some of them. And that's, that's my own fault. But Looking at some of these guys, like there was, you know, a TKO, there's a KO, there was two really hard fought decisions. Like, even, even though that the UFC can never predict how a card's going to come out, since the ESPN deal, when they, like I said, were now being considered a sport, these guys are putting on such great matchups. Like, stylistically, um, even, even if I disagree with where they go with some of the contenders or who gets the next, you know, shot at the title, cause you know, there is a monetary aspect. You, you got, you got to consider the fans and the money and, you know, the setup and everything. Like you got to consider a lot of things going into a fight, but like 
by and large, even the contenders have made a lot more sense. You know, like even guys like Conor McGregor, for instance, he came in, he got his ass kicked by Dustin Poirier after beating, you know, Donald Cerrone. And, you know, they were about to give him a title shot. And then, you know, Poirier lost or uh, sorry, I, I might have that wrong. But uh, then he gets to face Poirier, uh, who didn't have the title. But like, you know, basically the winner of that fight, you know, could have easily been given another title shot. Poirier wins. And now Dustin Poirier is doing the right thing and fighting him a third time while it's still fresh, while there, while there has been, you know, time for, you know, both of them to train and understand each other better, you know, in terms of like, you know, viewing fight footage and stuff like it's, (laughs) it's an exciting time to be a fan of a lot of divisions in the UFC, even in other things like Bellator, there's a lot of divisions in those that are really, really plentiful, but the UFC, you have to be at a certain level, man. And any of these guys on these early prelims could go to Bellator and become at least a top tenor by an event from now, maybe if it took that, like that's, that's the difference, you know, like, Maybe the best of the best in Bellator could come to the UFC like Michael Chandler and knock out a guy like Dan Hooker, who is high level, you know, but now we're now we're seeing that there's a clear cut difference in athleticism and ESPN, UFC, just that dynamic has created such good matchups that we're no longer getting those Hollywood matchups. We're no longer getting, uh, uh, you know, just guys that need to fight just because of where they are in the standings or like what they did their last fight. Like we're actually getting really, really intentional, intelligent matchups, you know? So like a lot of these fights are so much better. Like, oh man. And then you look back at the preliminary, the preliminary card and there was every, every one of those fights was actually like, if you're a hardcore UFC fan, you know, every single name on that prelim card like this card was basically like a like an eight or a nine fight main card because of how good the uh, the prelims were, and then you know the the early prelims actually made it even better just by giving you know people that were watching earlier just turned it on at the party just to have it on you know and <laughs> man this sport is this sport is taking off right now guys. First fight of the prelims, you had Sabatini, uh, Pat Sabatini versus Tristan, uh, is it McConnell? Uh, no, it's, it's, sorry, Tristan Connolly. I, I, I don't, I don't know, man. I, I think Sabatini, you know, did a pretty good job of controlling the entire fight, but, you know, Connolly did land some pretty good shots. I'm not going to say too much on all of these, but I just want to go over these guys' names just to put them in your head, you know, so, Next time there's a UFC event, you know, it's probably going to be a fight night for a lot of these guys on this, you know, uh, early prelim card. But like, you know, Pat Sabatini or the next one, Brandon Allen or Carl Robertson or, you know, Dwight Grant or uh, Stefan Sekulich, the guy that Grant fought. Like even even uh, Randy Brown, who uh, <laughs> beat Alex Oliveira, it, like <laughs> pretty handily, man, like that was. Uh, Alex Oliveira just I, I've never been impressed with him but yeah, I, yeah I'll get to that one in a second but uh, Carl Robertson versus Brendan Oliveira or sorry Brendan <laughs> sorry Carl Robertson versus Brendan Allen ended in submission but at the same time like <sighs> Brendan Brendan Allen didn't look all that bad 
I mean, Roberson definitely came in to fight, obviously. So I I, I really kind of want to see Brandon Allen, you know, versus a a better a better fighter. So I I, I don't know that there's not a, there's not a lot that I I can really say about that except for both of them came to fight, and it, it was obvious that when push came to shove, Brennan Allen had better jiu-jitsu, in my opinion, better stand-up. He looked like he was ready to fight somebody a little bit better next. So there's there's that. Uh, but then you had Dwight Grant win an extremely, extremely questionable fight against um, Stefan uh, Sekulich. Uh, I think that's how they say it. Sekulich. Uh, I don't know. Sekulich. No, it's not Italian. I'm sorry. Um, but uh, Stefan Sekulich. I, God, I, I can't. Th- there, there's a there's a linguistic perfectionist in me, and <laughs> it wants to say it right. I just uh, can't. But uh, Stefan, I'm gonna I'm gonna start calling him Sekulich. So Stefan Sekulich. Um, I felt like he controlled the fight, the entire fight. He was the more aggressive. I mean, let's uh, let's let's look at the stats here, guys. Like, uh, I'm gonna pull up some stats really quick. But Sekulich, he was always throwing more, more accurate, and that's just from like a that's just from like an like a like an eye test sort of perspective. So my phone would load because I've got everything else on right now too. This is where I've got to look it up. All right. So looking at the stats. Well, I mean, yeah. Okay. I mean, whew. sorry. I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to soak these in right now, but, uh, Sekulich was definitely more uh, more conservative with the striking, but the, the the interesting part is is he was outstruck by such a volume, apparently according to these numbers that that actually that actually really surprised me because I don't feel like Grant was either hitting him or doing any damage at all, you know, and and we're looking at it out of you know one takedown attempt he uh, Grant scored a takedown, but then you have seven takedown attempts and three uh, takedowns with a submission attempt, which arguably if he'd had another 10 seconds on the clock, oh, dude, he was going to tap or at least fall asleep. So, uh, you know, saved by the bell, man. So I, I just the, – the, the stats tell a different story. And the, if I was going to look at this uh, without having seen it, which, I, you know, I did see it, but if I was to look at it without having seen it and I saw a split decision with these types of stats, I would honestly say that's actually pretty fair. I didn't realize that the striking differential was what it was because, you know, I just pulling it up now, you know, you guys, you guys got the, the, the raw first take on it. But now, now that it's kind of sinking in, <sighs> Sekulich went 39 of 59. That's definitely a better percentage than <laughs> what is that? <laughs> 52 and 160 for Grant. Like th- those are total strikes, you know, and neither of them knocked the other down. Uh, significant strikes, basically anything that landed in the total strike category was a significant strike for Sekulich. So he landed 33 out of 52 attempts, but remember his strike total was 39 of 59. So, I mean, pretty much anything he threw, he threw with authority and it landed. 
And that, like I said, that's a better percentage than, you know, whatever total strikes, um, Grant had, which was in the one sixties. And it was, it was at least, uh, what was it? 52. Yeah. But then you look at the significant strikes and those aren't much different either. It's 49 out of 156 for Grant, uh, in the significant strikes. And it's just like, man, when you're, when you're throwing over 130 strikes, like, and then I, I guess your total total strike count would be, you know, near, nearly 170. Like, it, it just, it blows my mind that people don't see, like, the, the inaccuracies. Like, if you're not gonna, if you're not gonna land those, like, it, it doesn't even mean you're more aggressive. It just means, honestly, to me, it means you're kind of the worst fighter. Like, if you're just throwing a bunch of punches and not landing them, or throwing a bunch of kicks and not landing them, like, come on. But your other, but the other guy, he's basically, over 50% effective with anything he throws total strikes, significant strikes, whatever. He's basically right on 50%. You're under 50%. So who outstruck who? I don't know, man, if we're going to go by volume, obviously you outstruck the other guy, but if we're going to go by quality, which is, I think what we're starting to head towards as a, a, a judging base. And it's starting to, it's starting to show signs of really turning the corner. We're having less and less bad decisions. But this one, this one was a miss. And I, and I think it's, you know, looking at the stats, I think it might just have something to do with the fact that if you see one guy throwing more punches, sometimes if you don't have a martial arts background or you've never been in a fight in your life, just because people are throwing punches, a lot of them, doesn't mean they're actually doing anything. You know, they always say, you know, it takes one, not it takes a thousand. So <laughs> what are we really talking about? But that's that's kind of an interesting take. I hadn't looked at the stats on that. So that's I'm glad that I, I was able to pull that up with you guys. And I mean, even even stuff like body shots, like 10 of 17 for Grant and then five of seven for Sekulich. Like, obviously, when Sekulich threw a shot, whether it be some sort of a punch or kick, he landed it. You know, the only thing he's not really even close. I mean, he's relatively close. Uh He's just about 50% on takedowns too, which if you, if you try to take somebody down seven times and land three of them, I mean, I think he landed what one around pretty much like that averages out to one around, but I think he literally did one around. So if you, if you, if you factor that in one of those takedowns and whatever round that, uh, Grant got his takedown, that negates it. So he's technically more up two takedowns to none because you have to factor the takedown and control timing. And since Grant got a takedown and lasted 25 seconds on top, and out of the three takedowns that Sekulich landed, he had about two minutes and five seconds of takedown time. Like, who really controlled the ground game? You know, so that that was such a good fight. And I'm not – I heard Sekulich hasn't fought in, like, a year or two due to, like, an, like an injury. Like, it was something else COVID. It was before COVID, so he was out before COVID. But – it was something like that, like an injury or something that like he just couldn't heal from in time. And then COVID happened and he just ended up not being able to fight for like the last two years or something. But like, if that's how he looked with a little bit of ring rust, I, I, I'm down to watch him fight again. And, you know, <laughs> Grant, I, uh, I really like his, uh, his fight nickname, which is uh, the body snatcher. And <laughs> so like, I mean, if he's also going to be throwing 160, 170 strikes a game, uh, a fight, not a game, <laughs> but, uh, uh, every, you know, every fight, he's going to be throwing that many strikes. I'll also watch him too, because that means he's not afraid to train, you know, and he can also take a punch, at least from Sekulich. So, uh, yeah, I mean, both of those guys, I'm going to watch again. Now, a fight 
of people that like I really I don't like I I alluded to earlier I don't really care for Alexander Oliveira. Um, there's only one Oliveira that I care about, and it's Charles Oliveira, and he's about to be the new champ that I've been calling for a long time. And you know, I mean, if Sean was here, he'd be hyping me up about it because he knows he knows. But <laughs> um, the Brown versus Oliveira fight in like the first maybe minute of that fight because it only lasted the first round and it only lasted about three minutes. But in the first minute of that fight, I was like, all right, all right. Like Oliveira's there to trade. He's there to talk some shit. He's there to, you know, fucking fire back. And then all of a sudden Brown just turned the corner. And it was just, it was like somebody who was like jogging with you when you're sprinting and then they start sprinting and just take off ahead of you. Like that's, that's what that fight looked like. At a certain point, Oliveira looked way outmatched and just a little scared, to be honest. Yeah, I, I said it looked a little scared, but <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I'd, I'd be crapping my pants if I was in there with either of them. So <laughs> uh, I, uh, I mean, this was this was a weird one because at the end there was a little bit of drama with you know Brown or whatever and God man you know you, you you pay the money to to you know to ESPN you pay the money for the fight and you just want to hear what's going on when one guy talks shit to another after he whips his ass like when he's still talking shit you know there's a problem like you know somebody drops some sort of bomb that they weren't supposed to drop like <laughs> or somebody did something they were weren't supposed to do with somebody's girlfriend. I don't know. But at the end of the fight, when Joe Rogan is asking you, hey, what's up, man? Like, what was that about? And you're telling people to go to your Twitch? Dude, we are in a different day and age. Like, that that's your that's your time, dude. You've, get, you've been given all the excuse to just talk shit about somebody. You know? <laughs> like, this motherfucker did this, this motherfucker, like, he, he ate my peanut butter sandwich when it had my name on it in the fridge. Like, I don't know, dude. It just, it just struck me as weird that Joe Rogan, who people want to be interviewed by, but never can be. And these fighters who win at these big events, all even like the prelim guys, even all those guys in the early prelims, I'm pretty sure even get Joe Rogan's interview. It might be 30 seconds instead of, you know, two minutes, but like, like it's a Joe Rogan interview. This dude is asking you like he might talk about it on his podcast. Hell, if it's a good enough story, you just won. He might invite you on his podcast. All he's asking you is what's the drama. And so, so Brown goes like, no, visit my Twitch. And then Rogan continues with the, with the fight interview, gets whatever, you know, questions answered that he asked. And then the, the sly dog, you know, the, 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 the godfather of any MMA podcast is sitting there like, I right, know for real, what's the drama? And you're like, hey, yeah, dude, visit my Twitch. Like that takes some big balls. <laughs> Cause like Joe Rogan be like, what's your deepest, darkest secret? I would have told him before he finished the sentence. Like it, it wouldn't even matter. Like, Oh, I, I like horses to kick me in the face. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, <laughs> but like, that's, that's Joe fucking Rogan. And this guy just, but he basically doesn't give a shit who's asking him the question. He's like, nope, visit my Twitch. And that was such a pro move right there. Like, I don't know if that was like all from him or if like somebody said, hey, when Rogan asks you what the hell's going on, don't fucking tell him. Like, <laughs> it, it makes me laugh thinking about 
<laughs> so he's just like, okay. He's like, in his head, he's just like, well, it's Joe Rogan, but I'm being told this. Well, I could get more Twitch followers. And that was probably the selling point to him. Oh shit, more people are going to watch me on Twitch? Like, come on, dude. Like, that's, that's actually pretty fucking funny if you think about it. So, <laughs> you know, I'll, uh, I'll end it right there because that's <laughs> for, for that, for that fight. But like, damn, dude, that was a pro move to just, you know, beat the shit out of a guy, talk a bunch of shit afterwards, and then tell people if you want to know what the story is, visit my social media account. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> How many apps do I need to find out a little bit of MMA drama, guys? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but let's get to this main card. Oh my God. Guys. Guys, please, for one second, let's all take a moment to be thankful for this card right now. Like, everything happened on this main card. Like I said, there was something for everyone, except for people with weak stomachs. So, <laughs> and you know what? To be honest, I don't care. There's probably not even a, a mark, like a, a measurable demographic in the, in the MMA market for people with weak stomachs. Cause like, it had, everything it had drama it had intensity it had legs breaking it had a lot of things that you just don't see very often but are very very much so a part of the sport in ways that we don't see as fans watching it on tv and man the first fight between anthony smith and i was it jimmy fruit uh but i'll just call him fruit from now on but that first fight I'm not a big Anthony Smith fan, and I, I really didn't even think he deserved the the John Jones fight. And you know, I, I just I'm not a big Smith fan as a fighter. Like I don't think he's like a bad guy. I don't have anything like like Sean really hates Cody Garbrandt, and that's hilarious to me. Like <laughs> I I just I couldn't bring myself to hate somebody like that that I didn't know. But you know, then I, then again I do. You know, there's definitely would be like sports stars who have screwed me over in fantasy football that you know whatever, man, like, not a huge fan of yours, you're kind of a bitch, not going to name names, um, but, because Sean, Sean would love to name names right now, again, he would probably be like, yeah, Cody Garbrandt, get your bum ass off the couch, and fucking fight somebody, or shut the fuck up, and, you know, that just, that's not really my game, um, although, I do agree, though, Cody Garbrandt, can you please get the fuck up off the couch, and, uh, fucking fight somebody, please? Um, <laughs> so that, that was a shout out to my boy Sean again I miss you bro um, but the Smith and Crute fight man we, we saw Anthony Smith actually come to battle because Crute Crute's been looking decent and he's young you know and, and everyone's excited about him so this was supposed to be his test but yet everyone was counting Anthony Smith out and I just I don't think that's right like I'm not a huge fan but like you, you can't count that guy out you know, he, he's going to try to at least evolve, whether he's going to be good enough or not. He, I guess I'm a little hard on him because of, you know, the John Jones loss. I really saw the difference in, you know, like where he was versus where he is now versus where he would need to be to beat somebody like Jones or in this case, I guess, Blahovich. Like, I, I, well, he's on the right path after this weekend. You know, he was popping that jab so well. It was it was impressive to see because when, when somebody can develop a jab, like GSP late in his career developed that jab and broke, you know, cause checks orbital. 
um, what was it, Kamara Usman in the Kobe Covington fight started landing a jab and just <laughs> really did a lot of damage with it. You know, so that jab, if you can, if you can get a rhythm with it, if you can pop that thing like Anthony Smith did on Jimmy Root, you can really upset somebody's timing. You can upset their game plan and you're going to actually end up doing a lot of damage, you know, because it may take 50 jabs before you really like see the damage, but oh, you're going to feel it well before that. You know, and all it takes is just one good jab in your cut, you know, and that could be the first one. It could be the last one. It could be somewhere in between. But popping a jab like that, that is just it it was beautiful. And Jimmy Crew was responding because Smith Smith almost had a good enough jab to control the fight. And Jimmy Crute, like, <laughs> I keep calling him Jimmy like I know that's his name. I, I really should just check. But Crute, when <laughs> when Crute was taking the jab, and you can see, like, every every jab was heavier and heavier, you know, just hitting him right in the same spot, right in the same spot. But Crute kept his game plan, kept his cool. And that's what helped him is he, he then started throwing, you know, more leg kicks and blah, 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 blah. Like, he was he was actually, in my opinion – controlling the fight every bit as much as Smith was with that jab. So you have, you know, Anthony Smith popping the jab. You have Jimmy Crute responding. And then Anthony Smith just rifles off a motherfucker of a kick. Like, that's the type of kick that Chris Weidman in the next fight was trying to land. And yes, I will get to that too. But a damn. Like, did anyone really, like, see that kick when they played it on replay? That's about as well as you can place a kick. He based, It looked like he dislocated his leg, but no, he smacked the nerve so perfectly that it fucking killed the mobility. Like, hey, thank you to Crute for being a warrior and trying, but dude, I was ready for him to stop pacing around and trying to show how tough he was. I believed him. He just needed to lay down and let him take him on like a gurney or like a wheelchair or something to the back, like, please stop walking, you know, like, oh man, heart of a champion though. And that's why I want to watch him fight again. So Anthony Smith too, both of these guys had an exchange in the, in the ring. And I don't remember the, the specific wording, but it was some to the effect. Both of them had so much respect for each other, man. It was, I love this sport for that reason. When there, when there's something true to be respected from each other, it's found. And it's, it's crazy because it's so personal. You know, it's not like teams embracing teams, which is cool, but it's a little superficial. It's like a hug for everyone all around, you know, but when it's MMA, these people are looking each other in the eye and saying these things on national television, you know, or, you know, pretty close to at least, you know, pay per view, but like there's millions of people watching. You know, you you could really show some bitch colors by, you know, saying the wrong thing or whatever. But that it's such a pure moment. Like, I'll, of course, I'm going to get to the Usman Mazdaval one. But like when 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 Mazdaval and Ben Askren had their fight and, you know, the lead up was super dramatic. <laughs> Mazdaval just didn't even stop talking shit, knocked him out in five seconds, kept trying to hit him, was talking shit to him while he's out cold talk shit after talk shit, you know, in the interview, like everything just does not like Ben Askren. And Hey, fair enough, man. doesn't sound like Askren's too fond of him still either, you know, but at the same time, there was some actual like animosity there, you know, whereas like, you know, coming into this fight with Usman, there was some like, Hey man, you gave me your best on six days being in shape. Like, let's see where we're at with the full camp for each other. 
And, you know, we're going to get to that, of course, but damn, did we see it, you know, but back to that Smith and fruit fight, like <laughs> even just looking at their numbers, these guys are really not far. This was actually every bit of the, the fight that we all saw, you know, statistically speaking, like, you know, they, they really didn't have a big strike, you know, total strike differential. Um, you know, what, what Smith lacked in total strikes, he made up for in the advantage with significant strikes. You know, their head, their, you know, their headshots were a little bit different, you know, in terms of, um, uh, quantity, but in terms of quality, like I would argue that Crute landed some pretty convincing shots on, you know, Anthony Smith. And then, you know, they're looking at stuff like leg shots and this one's actually pretty, pretty interesting to me. Um, so both of these guys batted a thousand with their leg shots. So Jimmy Crute or God, sorry, I'm pretty sure it's Jimmy Crute. Uh, Crute landed nine of nine attempts. And that's pretty impressive. Uh, again, it was a one round fight that, you know, had to be doctor stoppage. But when you look across the aisle at Anthony Smith, he was two of two. And I don't, I honestly like thinking back now, I don't even remember when he threw the other one. I thought that was his only leg kick up to that point. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of surprised, but I was about to say throwing one leg kick and getting a knockout, that is the new cool thing to do in MMA. You know, so whether that be one leg kick and then you're knocked out because you uh, fold your leg over and broke it or because you knock the other guy's leg so badly, he can't feel it and it keeps buckling on him and it's gross. Like, whatever, man, like leg kicks are a real bitch and it's it's crazy how effective they are, you know. So, man, I I honestly I don't know what's I don't know what's next for either of these guys. To be perfectly fair, because of the ending and because of the fight that I saw leading into that ending, wouldn't be opposed to seeing a rematch. Now, if Anthony Smith just kicks him in the leg and, you know, fucks him up like that again, all right, like, you did it twice, like, we don't need to see it again. But, like, I, I don't think that crew was necessarily going, for, you know, uh, on a trajectory towards the loss. So, like, I, I don't know. I Looking back on it, I kind of want to see him fight again, guys. What do you, I mean, you can't really, like, this isn't interactive, but, like, I want to know what you guys think. I, I want to know what Sean thinks. <laughs> but, no, I, I'd really like to see these guys fight again because I don't I don't feel like we saw a clear-cut winner. I feel like, you know, in the, in the case of the next fight with Uriah Hall and Chris, Chris Weidman, we more saw the result of something that should have been – well, I mean, of course, like the guy couldn't walk and then Chris Weidman broke his leg. Like those guys can't keep going. It's not like I'm sure if Chris Weidman, could, you know, could stuff the pain for a second. He'd be like, no, I'll fucking just hop on one leg and punch him. But like that, it's not the reality. And as much as Crute wanted to fight through that, you know, leg, you know, pretty gnarly, like leg injury, like I don't want to, I don't want to see you walk and have your toe dragging behind you. You know what I mean? Like that's not. I don't want to see somebody fight a professional, another professional fighter with that kind of disadvantage. Like if you can hide it, Hey man, do your thing, but he couldn't hide it. And yeah, man, I'm, I'm glad. I'm really, really glad that they stopped that fight. Cause that was not going to be any better. And you, you couldn't even at that point, if they had let it go, you couldn't even be mad at Anthony Smith for finishing the fight, man. Like, and I, and I, and I can't imagine that he wouldn't have thrown another leg kick 
you see the guy limping towards you and he just has his hands up and you know that he needs to keep at least one leg down to keep a base so he's not throwing a kick. Yeah, you throw kicks. You throw kicks. Like, <laughs> uh, and I'm sorry, man, but if it's my hundred grand or you, your hundred grand, I'm going to take my hundred grand. You know what I mean? So I'm glad they called that fight. It wasn't going to get better for Crute. And I'm, I'm glad that he, he at least tried to have the warrior spirit and didn't call it off himself. You know, and like, I'll still be glad about that for people at least trying to be the beast because there are people around them who do get to make the call to not let them. And that's why doctor stoppages to me are perfectly, perfectly legitimate. You know, like if somebody's looking at you being like, dude, you're, (laughs) this isn't going to end well and you want to die in your shield. Hey, that's fine, man. But I, that's just, you can't do that. You know, you can't do that to a human being. Like, cause sometimes we can't get out of our own way, you know, and you have to have somebody who can make that call. So I'm really, really glad that that's the way that they ended up calling the, uh, the Crute Smith fight after that. But again, to close on it, I'd really like to see him fight again. So Dana White, if you're listening, bro, make that fight happen again. <laughs> so then we shoot up to the next fight and this is really like a, a case of like you, you you see you see like uh somebody get hit like you see a pedestrian get hit by a guy on a bike and then you see that same guy on a bike get hit by a guy in a car like <laughs> it's just like ooh oh you know what I mean like <laughs> yeah one of them sucks man but you're gonna be fine the other one might kill you or at the very least something's gonna be different and uh, oh man. <laughs> A quick story about this Chris Weidman thing being so crazy relevant to, to just my life as a, a mixed martial arts fan. My dad, um, not he was he was a three sport athlete. He was you know raised in the he was born in the fifties, raised in the sixties, seventies. You know as a kid going through school, so he was he was pretty hard nosed. You know he grew up in a a time where you know. <laughs> Certain things that are illegal today in football just aren't, just weren't illegal then. You know, you could definitely plow over somebody. Same thing with baseball or I think he played basketball too, but he was never, you know, a real combat sports guy. And I'd heard a funny story about him, uh, you know, actually like, you know, during lunch being a pretty good boxer, which makes perfect sense. He was super athletic. Here he is super, he's not, he's not dead. Uh, God forbid. <laughs> I haven't talked to him in a few days. I'm pretty sure he's not, but. <laughs> But, uh, no, he, 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 he was super athletic as a kid. And, you know, so it, it makes perfect sense that he could actually throw hands pretty well. Um, he's never struck me as a strong or a tough man otherwise. And that's completely irrelevant. But like, it is crazy when my uncle was, was like, no, nah, your dad used to box people up at lunchtime. And it's just like, that just seems like a, a, like, you know, a, a rather family thing to do is be like, you know, pretty quiet, unassuming, and then just box people up at lunchtime, you know, so I'm surprised I didn't do more of it now that I know it runs in the family, like, (laughs) but, uh, so this all kind of, like, just my dad, you know, there being a quick snapshot to my dad, like, just, he really wasn't, like, an aggressive person, he's not, like, uh, he doesn't really like violent movies, like, um, I, I, I guess the scariest thing that he's ever seen was the Wicked Witch from the fucking Wizard of Oz. And I still make fun of him about it to this day. 
So <laughs> this, this motherfucker wants to look at me and tell me how to like be a man, but yet he's, he's getting scared because of, I'll get you my pretty and your little dog too. Like, come on, dad. Like you are like, who's giving out the spankings? You or grandma? Like what? <laughs> like I still, like I said, I still make fun of him to, to this day. But you know, I, I, we had kind of a, um, a rough growing up around each other. Like I, not to get too deep. I just, you know, we, we didn't have a great, um, back and forth as, as, you know, me growing up and him trying to figure out how to parent a kid that was so close to him. Cause my brother and sister, either they were here or they were in LA. So, they, you know, it was seven hours, eight hours difference either way. So that, you know, if they weren't around, they really, really weren't around. You know, and I lived in the same town with my mom. Um, so, or my, my, yeah, my mom, cause the other two are, um, steps, uh, or sorry, half siblings to digress. But, uh, so I lived in town and we just, we just didn't have the, <laughs> the kind of, you know, uh, we didn't understand each other, you know, and it, it, it wasn't anything like super dramatic. It just, you know, I, I grew up seeing him in a certain light and, you know, he, didn't like to think of him in that light. And so there we clashed heads a few times, but nothing, nothing bad. We like, we never got in a fight like some of my friends and their dads or anything like, but it was just, you know, it was, it was kind of one of those like, damn, like I really wish that could have been a better relationship growing up. Now to set this up with that sad kind of intro, <laughs> sorry guys, this is an MMA podcast, but uh, no, to set that up is like, I really tried to bond with him. So like, you know, fantasy football, like, you know, watching basketball games and both of us fucking hate basketball. And he played it like you're just doing things. You try to like, you know, sports wise is something we can bond over. So like I've been trying so hard to get him to watch MMA, so hard to watch MMA. Right. And then Chris Weidman, Anderson Silva two, the rematch after Weidman shook the world up and knocked Silva out in the first round. That card was coming on. I was like, ooh, this is going to be a good one because Silva's going to bring his A game. You know, Chris Weidman's not going down. And so it was like, all right, man, here we go. Like, this is a good one because it was also Ronda Rousey, Misha Tate. Now, I don't remember the rest of the card off the top of my head, but those were the two fights. And, oh, man, that Rousey-Tate fight right before the Weidman-Silva 2 fight, uh, I think it was the second fight for Rousey-Tate in the UFC as well. Rousey (laughs) Rousey put on a gorgeous display of judo. Like to a level that I don't think we'll ever see again. And I don't think we ever saw before. Um, that level of judo in mixed martial arts, that, that's almost like a, like a, like a cheat code or a game hack, you know, like, damn, she just tossed Tate around like a ragdoll, really, like, <laughs> you know, and then finished the fight. But then like coming out of that fight into the next one when they were doing the, you know, pre-fight lead up and stuff, my dad was sitting there like, Oh man, like this is, this is really cool. Like I, I can't wait to, <laughs> can't, I can't wait to see the next one if you think that these guys are even higher level fighters. And it was like, well, yeah, I mean, it's fucking Anderson Silva and the guy that knocked him out. So of course I expected to be a pretty good fight. And you know, the first however long was just fine. And then <laughs> I don't remember if it like went more than one round or when it happened, but I just remember watching his leg fold over Silva's leg fold over Weidman's knee. And before they could even really announce the decision, my dad was like, well, that's enough of that. Gets up and walks to the kitchen, never to watch MMA again. 
<laughs> so like <laughs> I have this weird sort of like not even animosity towards Chris Weidman, but it's just like, dude, did you did you have to check that kick? Like <laughs> like my dad won't even watch fighting anymore, man. Like <laughs> So it's I don't know. It, when it happened this weekend, it was so much worse than the Silva fight because the Silva fight, honestly, like after what, like Silva was 40 at the time, after how many professional fights, something's got to break at some point. Now you would hope to never see it. You would hope you just hear about it, you know, in like on online or something and like, oh, okay. Then you see an extra and you're like, oh, wow, that happened? Huh. Wonder, wonder how that happened. Like he probably just walked it off and went to the doctor and like, hey, my, my shin's hurting. He's like, oh, well, it's split in half. It's not even attached. No, but like to see it fold over and then to see him like kind of step on it and then it kind of like gumby out. It was just like, dude, like that was pretty rough, you know, and he's, he's sitting there writhing in pain and, oh, dude, it just, oh, it was terrible. Just terrible. And then this weekend, that happened, that silver one happened so long ago, people forgot. And like until it happened to Weidman, Nobody like talks about that anymore because it was such a gruesome thing and it was so violent and so like so not the point of mixed martial arts. Like maybe like in like a death fight in a movie, like you're like, yeah, you break somebody's fucking shin over your knee and then they writhe in pain and you snap their neck or just walk away or whatever. But like in a in a in a professional sport, like you don't want to see that. That's like I've watched guys running to first base snap their fucking leg just running. You know, it's gross. You know, it, it, it sucks to see. It sucks to think about them going through it as a person, as a healing process, anything like that whole thing just sucks. And so we do a pretty good job as a society of putting it out of our heads. <laughs> and then this weekend happens and you, you have to think going into it, this is not even nearly on anyone's mind, even Chris Weidman, who's been a part of it let alone happening to him, you know? So <laughs> 17 seconds in, you're just activating your game plan. All right, I'm going to, I'm going to fucking rifle a kickoff so I can establish the kicking game because right now leg kicks are in. And <laughs> so you throw that kick to establish your game plan and you snap your shin in half. That was horrible. Now, when he, I was, I was watching it as it happened. You can like off of the, the initial view, you see the leg fold and anyone who's seen that before, like pretty much anyone that watched the Silva Weidman one, <laughs> you know that. So it happens. And I was like, Oh God. Oh no. And then he, and then he steps back on it. He was like, no, 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 don't step. And then it just folds. He completely buckles and folds on it. And Oh God, I am just, I'm getting the willies just talking about it, man. Oh, he folds on that leg. <laughs> oh, and I, sorry, I'm not laughing at him. I just, oh, dude, it, it's making me so uncomfortable even just to think about it. And, like, I had to watch the replay just to make sure that I was that certain about the situation so I could talk about it. But believe me, guys, no part of me wanted to actually watch that replay. And then, you know, I had friends texting me who couldn't see, who couldn't watch the fights, telling me to send them a replay of it. Now, this is a blanket statement, so if you're my friend or not, like, whether you're going to hit up anyone on MMA Torch, we're not going to post stuff like that. Like, we're not, we're not, like, we may post funny, you know, knockout memes of people, you know, talking shit and then getting knocked out, or uh, I actually posted one that was about 
<laughs> Jorge Masdevall, like, you know, the caption over him said, you know, like, somebody's saying, like, these edibles ain't shit. And then Kamar Usman was the edibles. And then, you know, he on the ground was four hours later. It was really funny. You guys should like and comment. I don't know. It was just <laughs> – but we're never going to post people breaking their legs like that. That is – that's not that's not something we want to highlight the sport with. But that is always the danger is something like that happening. Because what it could, it could have easily been and what we've never seen in the UFC, especially on a big pay-per-view card, is what if he had thrown that kick higher, kicked him in the jaw and killed him? You know what I mean? Or kicked him in the temple and killed him. Or, you know, like the foot goes astray and he catches, you know, a toe to the eyeball and it pops out the eyeball and, that, and you know, like on pay-per-view and everybody sees that. Like, there's no way to brace for that kind of stuff, guys. Like, we're all just lucky that sicker crap hasn't happened, you know, and it sucks because that is such an inherent danger. But martial arts and mixed martial arts are such beautiful things. To see people doing that kind of stuff, yeah, man, like, we all have to remember that when stuff goes awry, we're very, very soft as just a, like a, like a material being. Not, not, not as like, you know, like a mind frame or anything. Like, MMA fans are, you know, hard-nosed people. But in terms of like, humans were kind of squishy. Like, even, even the toughest and the strongest, still kind of squishy. You know, like, that, that's why like sharks don't have to like, you know, wrestle to, chew our arms off because when they bite us man that's that's a force of nature right there man that's going straight through us you know like we're we're soft like we're soft squishy things and the only thing hard about us is a hollow piece of probably mostly calcium and some minerals like (laughs) i i don't know man it just doesn't seem doesn't seem necessarily real that we could just go around kicking things as hard as we do, let alone some of these guys that rifle off these just incredibly hard kicks. Like, cause those kicks land. I don't know if uh, you guys saw um, a couple of the other fights, but there was like red marks on legs everywhere. Like a couple of these fucking leg kicks land. Yeah. You can check one, but if you don't break somebody's shin and you just like check it, yeah, that's going to hurt the other guy a little bit, but it's going to take maybe a minute. So, uh, uh, until he doesn't really feel it the same way as he did when it first hit. And he's going to be more confident to throw another one. You know, like, you're going to really have to batter somebody's shins with your checks to get him to stop doing that. You know, and even even though uh, Chris Weidman broke his shin in 17 seconds into the first round against Uriah Hall, that didn't stop Jessica Andrade in the next fight, minutes, moments later, from starting the fight with the first strike being a leg kick like that that's a bold move cotton like <laughs> the, the guy before you breaks his leg in half throwing that same kick goes probably presumably right by you in the back room like and you come out and try just try to throw a fucking leg kick on one of the best mixed martial artists that's ever walked the planet like bold move cotton like hey hats off to andrade for doing that but that was hilarious uh, sorry, I'm still I'm still on the the, the Hall Weidman thing because it, this sucks, man. Like the, the leg break for Chris Weidman, that sucks so badly just for what it is, you know. Because we might never see Chris Weidman be Chris Weidman again. Now, I, I can't imagine he would have beaten Adesanya. I can't imagine he would have even won his way to fight Adesanya. But hey, he's beaten Silva, you know. So, man, there he, man, it's just sad. It's just sad, you know, he's, 
he's a real gentleman of the sport. They even call him the all American. Like the thing that I really want to emphasize to you guys with Chris Weidman and Uriah Hall, this fight ending the way it did is unfortunately one of these guys, Uriah Hall in this case was they're they're on the final path. They're on that Donald Cerrone. They win a couple fights. You might get Conor McGregor or you might get a championship shot. Like, you know, like, so, you know, he shows up against, you know, sorry, uh, he shows up against Chris Weidman thinking, you know, like if he loses, you got to think he's, he's not really, he, he's not going to make his way into the top 10 again. And if he does, it's not, it's not for a title shot purpose. It's just because there's too many scrubs under him who can't beat him, you know? Uh, and then he's going to get old and he's going to get crippled. And then it's going to be an Anderson Silva all over again situation to where he has to, you know, pass a torch. And it's just like, God, man, it sucks to think of either Uriah Hall or Chris Weidman as that guy. But that's what happened. To, that's what happened on Saturday night is Chris Weidman, his, his body broke. Now, you would like to think that Uriah Hall broke him in a fight. But no, Chris Weidman's body just broke. And he's I can't imagine that he's going to come back at the level that he was ever at or that he's ever, you know, like a higher level that he was going to get to. Like, I can't imagine, I can't imagine that just, you can't, not at his age, you know, and he's not even, I don't, you know, so it's not like Silva who's like 40 and it's just like, Oh cool. He's making a comeback, but he's not a championship caliber fighter. Like they're only giving him that kind of credit because he's Anderson Silva and he can, he can draw a lot of names with Chris Weidman. Never had the name Silverhead, you know. So we're we're looking at things right now, and we're they're not looking good for Chris Weidman. And as for Uriah Hall, he didn't even get the chance to really showcase if he's progressed a level. So it's really hard to talk about his next fight. Like I, I mean, who, who who's there to fight Uriah Hall? Let's let's take a look at who is there to fight him. I mean. Oh man, I'm looking at the rankings right now, guys. It's not looking great. Like, do you want him to fight Jack Hermanson, who's you know number eight and Hall's number uh, num- sorry number seven and Hall's number eight? Not really. I don't really want him to fight Kelvin Gastelum either, because Kelvin Gastelum has honestly been the victim of some really really good fights that have ended losses for him. Like the the part about it is. Kevin Gastelum should be a, you know, a two or a three rank, maybe even a number one contender at all times, but he's lost to most of those guys, including the champion. So, you know, Robert Whitaker, Israel Adesanya, like it, just, oh, man, it, it sucks that Kevin Gastelum is that far down because now you could justify that fight between Hall and Gastelum, right? Because they're so close in rankings. Well, I don't think that that's necessarily a fight that Hall would win just based on Kelvin Gastelum's cardio and ability to wrestle. So I think that I just don't think that that would be a good good matchup for Uriah Hall. Jack Romanson, I think same thing. Darren Till, now that might be an interesting stylistic matchup. They're both kickboxers, but then again, like, do we really want to see either one of those guys break their legs over each other's legs? Like, <laughs> like when does it end? No, I'm just kidding. But that would probably be the most plausible fight is maybe Darren Till just on a stylistic level, because if you beat him, then you could justify giving Hall like a top level contender. You know, like, you know, a Vittori, or not like a Vittori, sorry, he's fighting Adesanya next, but like a Whitaker or Costa or like, you know, a Brunson, you know, Cannoneer's even still there. And I think he's even still, you know, coming off that loss. But like, 
I think Uriah Hall has to beat somebody around him in the rankings before he gets a real good fight. And I really think Chris Weidman would have been a good indicator of like where he's at stylistically because Weidman comes to bang, but then, you know, he, he's also an all American wrestler. So like you're, you're, you're looking at two different sides of a game plan to where, you know, I don't know if his game plan was going to be to strike or to wrestle because it only lasted 17 seconds, but we can bet he had a game plan for both of them. You know, so we would have gotten to see where Uriah Hall was in terms of his movement, in terms of any wrestling that he would have had to have done, you know, getting back up if he was taken down. Like we we missed out on a lot of things by that fight ending in 17 seconds. And it sucks to say because it's at the expense of Chris Weidman's shin and probably career, you know, but damn, that was also shaping up to be a pretty fucking good fight, too. Like when I realized that that was after the Crute Smith fight, I was <laughs> pretty stoked because I'd, I'd honestly forgotten who the first two besides the three championship ones were and then I was pretty uh, pretty stoked when I was like when I realized again that it was you know Hall and Weidman so man to to finish off the the Hall Weidman bit which I wish I wish I could say more there just there wasn't even like you know a minute's worth of a round you know there were 17 seconds of a round you know, if there was, you know, a full round or even more of that one round, I could, I could give something. But like, I guess, <laughs> I guess the thing that people can watch out for is Uriah Hall's uh, kick chucks. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, we could take that away from this. Is he's got some pretty fucking hard legs, so maybe get your kicks right. You know, so I. And even even that I feel rude saying, you know, but at the same time, like, I, I got nothing from that fight other than somebody throwing a kick and it landing wrong. So, shit. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to see what's next for uh, for Hall, and I'm sure Weidman, it's going to be another year, year and a half before we even hear, hear of him again, other than, you know, progress updates. But that brings us to the first championship fight. Now, I have to say, Valentina Shevchenko, if you're listening, ice cream in Chico, where I live, there's a place called Schubert's, and it's nationally recognized. So if you ever want some really, really good ice cream, I mean, it's on me, you know, so I I got you. But, yeah, I mean, you probably have to come to Chico for that. Um, <laughs> that aside, I'm sure you're pretty busy. Uh, but I, what can you really say about such a dominant performance? Valentina Shevchenko is so perfect in every single way. I'm looking at her stats right now just to get the, the, the measurables and wow. And I'm not talking about her figure guys. I'm, I'm not, I'm not talking about her. I'm talking about her stats from the fight. Like this is such a well-rounded fighter. <laughs> she threw 97 total strikes, landed 90 of them. She only didn't land seven combined. Are, are you kidding me? Like, what? <laughs> but she landed all of her body kicks, all, or sorry, all of her body strikes, all of her leg strikes. Um, she only missed seven head strikes out of 34. She went 27 and 34. And those are the only total strikes that she missed. That is incredible to me. Her significant strikes were also based off of the, the head ones too. So you got 32, um, 
total, or sorry, 32 significant strikes landed out of 39. So she is not only incredibly efficient, but she's incredibly precise and accurate, and she's just vicious. And <laughs> the best part too is I didn't even think Andrade had even landed a punch. And I mean, the stats are saying she landed 10 significant strikes, two of them to the head, which makes sense because I don't remember her throwing many to the head. She threw six, landed two, not a, like what? It, I mean, yeah, it all, only takes one, but I mean, oof, yeah, I'd really like to at least give myself more of a chance than six attempts. You know, she landed all of her body strikes, which, yay, um, missed the one leg attempt and controlled things on the ground. I, and you can like really put uh, some quotations around controlled uh, things for about a minute. And that's opposed to literally over a full round total time of control for Valentina Shevchenko. <laughs> and guys like I this landed in the second round. So literally just just based on the minutes, there could have just been a full round of her laying on her, plus like ten or fifteen seconds into the next round of her just laying on her. Like in terms of control. Like that's that's incredible that somebody can take down and hold down a bona fide wrestler who also is good with jujitsu and is a high-level professional fighter fighting for a championship in the UFC. Now, if you were to watch those two fight and not know anything about them, you'd be like, why are these two fighting? That one is so clearly better than the other one that it, this isn't even fair. And then somebody would have to say, well, who else you got, man? That's that's the next person up. You know, <laughs> like, so I really, and Sean and I have joked about it before, I really think that the only thing left for Shevchenko or even Nunez is to fight each other five times based on how these next two fights would, you know, theoretically go. So <laughs> you got Shevchenko who's down two fights, right? If she wins the third fight, which there is every reason to make, why the hell not? You know, she's only gotten better since those Nunez losses. Nunez has gotten better. Um, who, I mean, did, did she overtake her in talent? I don't know. Let's see what she can do on a third time. If Valentina Shushenko was doing the third fight, that would justify a fourth fight too, because it would still be two and one. And if she won that one to make it two and two, that fifth fight, it would be the first five fight, fiveology or whatever, <laughs> five fight thing between two people that would make perfect sense and honestly be so necessary, super necessary. <laughs> and, ah, oh, man. Part of the thing is, is who's Valentina Shevchenko fight next, right? And realistically, there's a few fights for her. You know, like, you can definitely, you can definitely justify a few names. And I would, I want to start with like the one that I, you know, obviously I, I started with nudes, but there's nobody else like in her weight class, like, you're, yeah, there's, I'm looking at everything, like, unless he wants, she wants to fight her sister, <laughs> and even then, Antonia is, like, 12th or 13th or something in the rankings, like, it's so far away, like, there's no, she's cleaned everyone out, you know, and then you, you know, you shoot, you don't want to shoot up a division, because she's already, she's already been there, you know, uh, against Nunes, but if you shoot down a division, which I don't think that she would go down to strawweight, but in terms of people that could fight her and make a good case for it, there's two of them, and they both fought in the next fight. You know, 
you have Rose Nama Yunus and you have uh, Zhang Weili. Now, the winner of that Weili Nama Yunus fight, in my opinion, needs to come up and fight Shevchenko, not only for a big payday, but because what the hell else is there for either of them? Another rematch? Because they're, they're going to be both waiting for Joanna and Jacek to fight either Marina Rodriguez or Nina Anzaroff or, you know, I don't even know. Those are like the only two that come to mind. Uh, oh, uh, Zan Chaonan. Like, <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. So winner of the Whaley uh, Nama Yunus fight, that's got to be the next thing for, for Shevchenko. You know, and it, it's going to be, I, I think in my gut, I really feel like, you know, and I obviously I'm okay with being wrong, but in my gut, I really feel like Rose Nama Yunus take that intensity up to fucking Shevchenko, man. Like if we, if we see the version of Rose Nama Yunus that we saw this weekend versus Valerie, uh, Valentina Shevchenko. Oh man. Talk about fight of the year. Like that Whaley versus in Jacek one, like fight of the ever right there. If you, if, oh, if you take Rose Nama Yunus at her best versus the best, in my opinion, technical fighter that's in the UFC right now at all. Even even better than Amanda Nunes, technically. Now, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into those two fighting, but technically speaking, I think Valentina is kind of like Mighty Mouse Johnson when he was in the UFC. So technically flawless, so technically sound in every aspect. Wow. So you take Rose Nama Yunus at her best with her, you know, coaching and her training, uh, like, um, the people that she trains around, like, you know, Gaethje, you have, uh, Kamaru Usman, like, and then, you know, again, Trevor Whitman's your coach and, you know, you're, tra- you're around these guys all the time. So you're around greatness. You're around Trevor Whitman's mind. You train with Trevor Whitman's gear. And I can tell you firsthand, Trevor Whitman's doing good things with gloves. So if you're, if you're looking to spend some extra money, um, just, you know, one of those stimmy checks on a, a pair of gloves, those Trevor Whitman Onyx gloves, they amazing. So you're, you're getting high level training. You're not hurting yourself and you're getting the best mind in the game. Now I would, I would only put him up with Firas or Hadi in terms of how good of, you know, coaching minds they have, but like, it's hard to argue with Trevor Whitman. Whitman, he's got three champions right now. Like, or at least he, he had three champions. Sorry, Gaethje lost the belt, but he faced Khabib. So whatever. Like, same thing. Like, <laughs> so this guy has just coached three people into being champions. And with, with Rose Nama Yunus, it was only like about a minute and 17 seconds into the, into the fight when she knocked out Zhang Weili. Now, I don't mean to cut off the Valerie, or Valentina Shevchenko talk. It's just, we all knew that was going to happen, you know? So like, what, what more is there to say? She faced Jessica Andrade, which people have already ran over. So what? She beats Rose Nama Yunus, loses to Rose Nama Yunus, and then she gets to face Valentina Shevchenko. That doesn't make sense, but okay. So we, we talked about it, but other than me pleading for Valentina Shevchenko to please let me take her out to ice cream, I have really nothing else to say about that particular fight. I just want to talk about the next fight and where that fight's going to lead, hopefully back to Valentina Shevchenko, you know? <laughs> so, I don't know, man. Those two, 
Uh, Nami Yunus and Whaley. <sighs> Not very many strikes thrown. It was only a minute 17. It was more of a feel-out process. But even within that small amount of time and that same sort of feel-out process vibe, you, you really thought that they were just feeling each other out, kind of more respecting each other. But it was Nama Yunus that was in turn actually setting something up. Now, I don't, I'm sure Whaley had a plan, but when Rose Nama Yunus, you know, threw out a couple, you know, uh, punches and then she kicked at the legs and then she threw out a couple punches, kicked with the legs, a couple more punches, kicked with the legs, a couple more punches, kicked with the legs. And <laughs> then she goes for, <laughs> actually, she, she only, hey, I'm looking at the, the stats, like, it doesn't even say that she even kicked her legs, but no, she, she definitely set, she, she set the head kick up with leg kicks. Like she went, you know, punch, punch, legs, punch, punch, legs, punch, punch, legs. And then she threw the leg kick up, or sorry, she threw the head kick on the same rhythm that she was throwing the leg kicks. Now, if you go back and watch the replay, and this is why I'm kind of shocked that it's not showing Nami Yunus has any leg strikes attempted. Um, if you go back on the replay, she'd set it up so well that when she, uh, when she went to go, you know, turn the hips to fire the kick, um, Wei Li, you can actually see her clear her legs. She does that little hip thrust backwards and, you know, she shot her hands forward for the counterbalance and that left her head completely exposed. You know, now there's still arms out there and around there. So it's, you know, double good on, uh, Nami Yunus for landing the way she did. Because her, her hands were a, a little high for that counterbalance, but she still snuck the leg in that big old gap right in front of her face. <laughs> like she she did not have her hands ready to defend. That's that's what I'm getting at. But that little hip thrust back, that's what you do if you think you see a leg kick and you think you read a leg kick is you clear the legs. I mean, if you catch it like fast enough, maybe check it, but usually you just avoid any damage because you don't know if that leg kick's going to hurt or if it's accidentally going to do something else. You just avoid the damage. And if you go back and look, <laughs> the leg, the legs were cleared with, with, with Wei Li, but her face was exposed and honestly, her chin was out. So then she catches that kick to the face and goes down. Nami Yunus lands a couple more blows. They end the fight. And then Whaley gets up and, you know, I get it, man. She's super prideful and, you know, she doesn't want to think that she just lost her championship on national television so fast or like that after going, you know, a fucking 25 minute knockout war with Joanna and Jacek, you know, so like she doesn't want to believe it, but she's, she's, she's like, no, 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 I was still, I was still there. No, you weren't. I was rooting for you and no, you weren't. That's, that's the worst part to me is like, I'm looking at it now and it, no, 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 no. She got kicked in the head and she was da dun da dun dun. You know, and I don't I don't really I've never been in that situation, so I don't really understand. I've never been a UFC champion, I've never been knocked out in the UFC or ever, but um I can't I can imagine it's 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 gotta be kind of cloudy like you're like whoa i don't remember being on the ground i don't remember all these people i was fighting a second ago and then he's like no 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 you got kicked in the head and you went fucking down and then to tell yourself no i didn't it's like well yeah you might have some like snapshots of like you know things like you know like oh i saw a fist hitting my face like i remember rolling like you know there may be parts and pieces that you can put together but dude like we we all saw it she got kicked in the jaw 
she went down like she got kicked in the jaw and then she got hit and she got controlled enough enough unanswered blows and enough control of the ground and lack of self-defense because you do have to defend yourself um <laughs> she just she was done and it really sucks that that's how she came to because then you know her translator is trying to like you know make it sound like she's not an idiot and i'm sorry man but like that's got to be a hard job for a translator when you just watch this lady get knocked out and then she tries to defend herself to the entire pay-per-view audience about how no she didn't like no i was fine i was good and she's like no you fucking weren't dude like he's just looking at her like okay like that's what i'm saying like <laughs> you know so yeah i mean hats off to the translator but <laughs> that's got to be a tough job when when that kind of thing happens but then man like that sets the that sets the stage for Nami Yunusovchenko, which is funny because uh, after that fight, you know, when Rose won, you know, they were showing Valentina and her like, you know, embracing like, oh yeah, you do really good, yeah, it's really cool. It's like, dude, you guys are probably gonna fight next. I hope you guys fight next. That's the only thing that makes sense for you to fight next. Like, that's where the pay per view draws. Rose Nami Yunus just, I don't want to say she she made her name. She already had a name, but I think she just, you know rose from the ashes like a phoenix and made her name bigger and you know that's that's the thing is if you can get somebody with a big enough name to fight shevchenko you're gonna make money because everyone knows who she is few of us actually watch her fight i'm looking at all you guys come on like every valentina fight is worth watching and they put her on fight nights consistently habitually just to get her fights out of the way because she's of that kind of a level give her rose nami Yunus. And it'll probably headline the card. If not, still be a co-main event with something good like an Usman versus whoever's going to get their head knocked off next. Or Francis Ngannou versus whoever he's going to kill next. Or Jan Blahovich. Like, come on, man. There's so many good fights. Maybe, like, uh, I think they've already set the or the uh, Poirier-McGregor 3 fight. But if they haven't, why not put the Nama Yunus Valentina Shishenko fight on there? Neither of them got hit that, like, that much. Like, there was maybe... <laughs> Maybe like three significant strikes between Andrade and Wei Li in either of the fights, and none of them actually made that much of a difference. Like, like I said, Jessica Andrade only hit Shevchenko in the head twice. She's fine. Shevchenko didn't even look like she was touched. You know, didn't didn't have any bruises from kicking. Wasn't like you know limping around at all. Like she looked like she probably could have fought the winner of the next fight right then and there, which would have been cool with. But, but so did Nami Yunus. She didn't even really get hit. There was like punches thrown at her, but she didn't even really get hit. You know? And then she just kicks this lady in the face. Fight's over, you know? Round one. And I think, I think Nami Yunus Shevchenko makes a lot of sense. So, with that being said, Jorge Mazdaval, Kamaru Usman, the battle for who is the real real? Now, this may not be the BMF belt, but uh, man, I, I gotta say, like, as many doubts as I had about Usman after that Burns fight, I, I wasn't really doubting that much, you know, and I see, I see how far he's come and everything, and I'm really thinking, okay, he might be real. And then Mazdaval gives him that, you know, before the Burns fight, but like, but Mazdaval did give him that five round war coming into this fight. Five rounds. Off of two weeks notice. Sorry, six days notice. Not even two weeks. I wishes he had two weeks notice. 
six days notice. <laughs> and then it turns into, you know, this whole build up to it. There's a lot of shit talk. You know, the, the weigh-ins are intense. You know, like I really, really in the, in my heart really thought that Mazdaval was going to come out and really just do something magical. You know, I even, I'll even contend that Usman coming into the fight was always the better athlete, always the better fighter, more skilled technically and everything, talented even. But I, I just, I just had this feeling Jorge Mazdaval is going to come in and he's just, he's, he's going to give him a good old fashioned blessing, man. Street Jesus is going to bless a motherfucker, but <laughs> Street Jesus got blessed guys. And I gotta say, in about 50 plus fucking fights, it is insane that I ever doubted Kamaru Usman up to the point that I did. Cause it, it's been, it's been a while. It's been a few fights that I've really, really doubted him like I used to. But after that, I'm, I am so solidly a believer of Kamaru Usman that <laughs> I really want to go back in time and smack myself in the head and tell myself to stop being stupid because Wow. Just tit for tat, man. Trevor Whitman, just magic. He is doing gorgeous things with these fighters. He is giving them game plans. He is giving them results. He is giving them the way to train, how to train, what to train with, you know, who to train with. Like Trevor Whitman is doing some beautiful things with this sport. And it is so crazy because there's an entire another generation that's not even that's not even going to be fighters. There are going to be guys that either used to fight or grew up watching fighting and being around it. We're gonna get we're gonna get like we're gonna get new and improved versions of Trevor Whitman or like you know even on, on like a, a different term like a Freddie Roach or you know like a, a one of the sh- like a, what is it uh, Dave Schultz is the one that sorry took a turn. No, I just, just wrestling coaches. Sorry, I don't know. I don't know a lot of good wrestling coaches. I just, sorry, I'll, I'll go, I'll go locally. We actually have a guy, uh, in town. His name's Keith Rollins. I, I play softball with his brother, actually. Um, Keith Rollins is, uh, the coach of a wrestler. And you guys could all look up highlights, man. He was an Olympic, you know, caliber wrestler at the very least. I don't know if he ever uh, made it to the trials, but his name's Nishan Garrett. And man, that guy can wrestle. And his coach in high school was a local guy named Keith Rollins. And I met Keith. Keith's a great guy, high level coach. So, you know, I'm just trying to name off coaches right now. So there's a bona fide wrestling coach. And there's only going to be other generations who have learned from him, like the Nashawn Garrett's or, you know, like this Gate G's or Nama Yunus's Usman's. Like when they're, when they're ready to retire, they're going to be teaching people. They're, they're going to be showing the way. And, you know, you, you have to believe that Trevor Whitman's got some people around him on his staff that are also, you know, assistant coaches and people that do corner fights for, you know, the, the UFC fighters and, you know, Bellator fighters and stuff like, I guarantee you there is, there is such a plethora of, of, uh, room for improvement on an already <laughs> crazily improving game, uh, that is mixed martial arts. There's going to be a lot of people coming up being good fighters, but there's going to be so many that are, that are going to be growing up good coaches. Cause you know, like it takes a special person to coach another person effectively, but then you have Trevor Whitman, like you're coaching multiple people super effectively at a championship at the highest level type of thing. Like he's basically like 
<laughs> I mean, I can't even compare him to another coach. Like, I can't say he's like Phil Jackson. I can't say he's like Joe Torre. I can't say he's like any of those guys because those guys didn't train the baseball players that they had to manage. Like, Trevor Whitman is, you know, pad working all these guys. He's game planning all these people. Like, seeing the things that he's done with Nami Yunus, with Gaethje, with Usman, like, those are the only three that I need to name. I'm guaranteeing you everyone else in that gym is at a certain level because they train with those guys. So, <laughs> oh man, I'm, I'm really, really excited for what, what Trevor Whitman has in store for Usman's next fight. Uh, I'm really excited for what he has in store for Nama Yunus's next fight, uh, for Gulchi's next fight. Like, <laughs> Trevor Whitman, if you don't know who he is, look him up, do some research, find some fighters, watch their fights, and then get back to me. You can also thank me because you're going to want to. <laughs> but enough, enough fanboying over Trevor Whitman. Um, Kamara Usman, like Jorge Mazdaval said, and I, I absolutely love the fact that it happened this way. Like, you know, when he, when he got stone cold and knocked the fuck out, he got up, went, well, shit hasn't happened in 50 plus professional fights. Guess this guy's his power is for real, man. He's like, I, I didn't think it was, but damn, it's for real, dude. Like, <laughs> and then he was like, hey, no more beef. And then they were they were fucking dope, dude. They were fucking bros, not like you know friends, but like they were they were they were good. You know what I mean? Like beef squashed, and that's how it should be, guys. You know what I mean? Like any problems that you guys are having in your personal lives, it, even if it comes down to just like you know a street fight, you know as simple as that. If you win the fucking fight. Dust your opponent off, make sure he's okay or her, you know, and you have to take the humility approach. If you're talking shit to somebody and you think somebody's a little bitch and then that little bitch knocks you out, well, guess what? Now you're the bitch. So at least be a fucking gracious bitch and shake his hand or her hand or their hand. <laughs> like, it's so crazy how simple that is. Talk shit, get hit, say sorry. <laughs> or talk shit, back it up, and then nobody ever fucking, you know, talk shit to you again. And hopefully, the person that you knock out, you don't go too ham on, they wake up with a little bit more respect. You know, and th those are all ideal scenarios, but then, you know, some people just can't control themselves and bad things happen. So, <laughs> I'm not encouraging you guys to go fight, but I am saying if you do, be a fucking civil human being about it, and at least have the humility to know when you lost. You know, and again, Let's not get too violent with it, but God, man, the, the respect of mixed martial arts is something we can all take a note from. Baseball players, basketball players, especially NFL players, NASCAR, everyone across the board, golfers, even fuck them. They can all take a lesson from the, from the respect and the sportsmanship and the professionalism that comes with being a professional fighter. Yeah, there's always going to be guys that are a little high on themselves, and there's always going to be guys that need to hype up a fight to make some paychecks. But we're getting past that now. We're getting into the part of it where it's a bona fide sport. So those guys are a rare breed. The Conor McGregor's of the world, the guys that, like Brock Lesnar, those guys are sideshow attractions. Like we saw, once McGregor lost to Poirier, oh dude, you you got to fight your way back up to the championship. You don't just get a you don't just get a title shot. You know, fuck who you think you are, you know. But back in the day, dude. He probably could have lost five fights, still gotten a title shot, you know, like, but he's such a good fight hyper that people would have watched it. 
you know, and yeah, you can, you can draw them in, but you know, the UFC has a, has the integrity of, of its new status as a, a bona fide sport to maintain. So they're not going to let you just do that anymore. And, you know, again, I want to take a side, a side note to thank Dustin Poirier for just making that third fight happen. You know what I mean? Because he could have been like, no, dude, I fucking beat him. I want Chandler or I want Gaethje or again, or I want Oliveira or I want whoever. Yeah, he could he could have done that all he wanted to, and it would have been completely justified. But no, he was like, no, 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 no. We're one and one. He's still a relevant fighter. This is you know his second fight in like three or four years. So yeah, as long as he fights me within a couple months, then let's do it, man. Like let let's put it on, you know. So good on Dustin Poirier for letting Conor McGregor shake off the ring rust and then fighting him again when he's not ring rusted, when he has time to train properly and do whatever makes him comfortable to get for the next fight, you know, uh, get ready for the next fight. So <laughs> Kamaru Usman is just unstoppable at this point, guys. And I don't want to, <laughs> don't want to hype him up too much, but I mean, it would be really cool after the uh, Colby Covington fight, if he went up in weight class, potentially fought Israel Adesanya, you know, like he could, he could possibly with his body's type, even like, you know, keep on some water weight, make 205, maybe fight Blahovich. I, I don't know, man. There's so many possibilities, but like there's nobody under him right now that I really want to see him fight besides Colby Covington. And that's only because of their first fight. But that first fight, if it was any indication of what's to come, well, that was a few fights for Usman ago, and we've seen how good he is. Does anyone really think that it's going to be better for Colby Covington? <laughs> Might be faster. I don't think it's going to be better. So, yeah, I, I don't know, man. There's, I'm looking at the rankings and like, there's, ah, Vicente Luque, maybe, like, if he can keep winning. Stephen Thompson. I mean, Leon Edwards. Yeah, you got all the guys that you would think, you know, who are contenders who haven't really fought him yet, or maybe they have, but it was a long time ago. Like, I, I, just, I don't see, I don't see this being something that, they're going to be able to keep Usman in the welterweight division. Now, I also don't think that he can uh, lose enough weight to go down a division and, you know, fight for that title, even though that would be cool. I mean, there's probably better matchups from there, but I just don't think that that, that guy's like, he's built like a brick shit house, man. Like, I, I don't see him losing weight. You know, he has weight to lose, but I can see him not having to cut as much. You know, and if he's walking around at what, 195, what, he's got to drink an extra bottle of water to get to 205? Like, I, I, I just don't think it's, <laughs> I don't think it's that far fetched to think that we could see Kamara Usman going up to middleweight and maybe even in the future, if, if it comes to that point, going to 205. He'd be a little small at 205, but goddamn with the right coaching and the right conditioning and everything. I think, think he could probably give somebody a run for the money. Maybe not Bohovich, but somebody. I don't, I don't know. I don't really know what's next, you know, thinking, thinking about it that hard. Like, does he have to go fight Israel? Cause Israel would make sense to him to fight Usman in the sense of he just went up to fight Blahovich and lost. I think they said he's going to get Vittori next. So God willing, he wins that. He's still champion. Okay. Well, you, you, you maintained your championship. You may have gone up and lost, but you maintained it after that at your weight. So why not go down and try to take somebody else's belt? Like, I don't know how much weight Izzy has to lose either, but 
I, I can't imagine, you know, the 15 pounds would be that hard for a professional like him. So I, again, I may be only thinking in super fights, but in terms of matchups and in terms of how the UFC's really shown me that they do put these fights together, if the matchup's there and the money's there, that's two of the biggest check marks you need to set up these super fights that I'm talking about. And honestly, they, they're not even super fights. Like, take away the championships and they're, they're good enough to headline or co-main event any pay-per-view. You know, you, you got the Shevchenko Nama Yunus or Usman Adesanya that I'm, I'm speculating about now. <sighs> Whatever, dude. I'm saying, I'm just saying, come on. Let's think about it. It makes a little bit of sense. Why the fuck not? There's nobody else at those levels right now. Even, even, you know, the top couple contenders in each of those weight classes of the people that I'm talking about, they've either already fought the champion, they've already either fought the champion and lost convincingly, uh, or <laughs> they're just so visually not even close to the same level that it wouldn't be fair to put them in there at this point in their career with the champion. Even if at one point or another they may be able to. You know, but it's just not now. There's nobody, you know. So I'm looking, <laughs> I'm looking at this as kind of a, kind of a card that really did set up some really cool things. And I just, I, I think the, the only, like, the only thing that I, I haven't really touched on right now, and this is something that Sean and I haven't been able to do a podcast on just for the scheduling reasons, but, the Francis and Ganu thing. Okay. So I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and end the UFC 261 talk. And I hope you guys enjoyed that part of it. But damn, we didn't talk about Francis and Ganu and we haven't talked about him for a while. Um, so <laughs> I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge the scariest human being on the planet right now. I think, I think, and there's no belt for this yet, but I think the baddest man on the planet is now Francis Ngannou, and that should be happily bestowed upon him by Mike Tyson. You know, like, I really think I really think Francis Ngannou is the scariest human being on, on, on the planet. When Steve Miocic had to resort to his wrestling, which up until that point was flawless. He could take anyone down at will at any point that he wanted to, hold him down, you know, do whatever he wanted to, even if it was just grind out a win, he could do that. But when Francis not only stuffed the takedown, but then took his back, started laying on some ground and pound, and then willingly got up and said, nope, you got to stand up, that I literally out loud went, oh, no, that's not good for anyone else. Like, Forget John Jones, man. Francis Ngannou? <laughs> yeah, so check this out, guys. John Jones is sitting there complaining about the money. Like, oh, pff, the money ain't right. The money ain't right. I need money to come back. The UFC ain't even talking my dollar about like how are they treating me like this? And it's just like then he then he has the ball to be like, I want thirty million dollars to fight Francis Ngannou. Yeah, motherfucker, so do I. I think so do all of us. Thirty million dollars for a guy that might fucking kill you on national television? Yeah, yeah. You thirty mil? Yeah, no, I'll take it too. <laughs> you might have to start at a base fifteen. Like <laughs> I'm saying, dude. Anyone stepping in that octagon with Francis Ngannou, most of their paycheck is more like, hey, if you die, this is what we're going to give you. Like, there's no way that the UFC 
doesn't crap their pants every time a fight starts between Francis Ngannou and whoever the hell the poor soul is behind him, or in front of him, sorry, behind him afterwards, but in front of him at that time. <laughs> but the, the guy is just a behemoth of a human being. He's, he's what we wanted Brock Lesnar to be. You know, like, honestly, like, wrestling aside, like, you know, the showmanship aside, he's what we wanted Brock Lesnar to be. A guy that goes in there and does one thing really, really, like, you know, just graphic, violent, you know, like, just, just fucks people up, like, whether with wrestling or, like, it was with Lesnar or with his hands, like, you know, it is with Ngannou, but then, you know, progresses. Like, when we realized that Lesnar had such good wrestling, it was like, oh, okay, we'll get a stand-up game. And then he just gets beaten to shit to, like, you know, the likes of Kane Velasquez and Alistair Overeem and Shane Carwin. And, like, when you put him against a bona fide stand-up artist who could stuff his takedowns or at least not let him take him down, yeah, it was like, wow, okay, so this guy's pretty normal. He's just giant and scary. Like, whatever, you know. <laughs> give, give me 265 pounds of raw aggression and muscle on a fucking six-foot-three frame. Yeah, I'd fuck some people up too at a pretty high level. But <laughs> but then you take Francis Ngannou, who, yeah, oh, man, the power was there. That that wasn't the case. Like, he knocked Alistair Overeem's head off, and, you know, he's just knocking Rosenstrike's head off. Like, he's knocking everybody's head off. You put him against somebody early on, like Stephen Miocic, well, as long as Stephen doesn't die from any of the punches that he is inevitably going to take, he can get him down. He was a good enough wrestler, and Francis Ngannou didn't have a good enough wrestling defense or wrestling base or wrestling anything. And it's kind of an it's kind of a weirdly unfair advantage for Stipe because it's like, okay, yeah, but we both know that if we stand this back up, you're not going to want to keep doing this. And in fact, you might not last very long. Whereas we've never really seen anyone even hit Francis. Like, yeah, I think Stipe landed a couple punches, but like. If you hit a brick wall, does the wall really feel it? You know what I mean? So, <laughs> and then the brick wall gets to hit you back. You know, so that's <laughs> that's a that's a part of this. You know, the early Ngannou Stipe thing. You know, leading into that fight with those two, that was really intriguing to me. Was just the dynamic of like, all right, we're really gonna see Francis and his improvements, and then Stipe. <laughs> I mean, you, you knew he was at a certain level. He just beat Cormier, which honestly, like, you know, give give Cormier the right age. Like, you know, what, what was he, 36 or 37 when he was at his prime? Then you put him against Ngannou. I think Cormier could find a way to win. I do not think that Stipe was destined to win that fight, the second one. I do not think he was destined to win that any way you slice it. You know, he's he's having eye problems. You know, he, he works as a fireman. A lot of the, you know, part of the year, I mean, which keeps him in shape, don't get me wrong, but like his, his focus is other places. And yeah, yeah, I mean, the Cormier fights were really good, but at the same time, man, Francis Ngannou was, he, he, <laughs> again, Cormier to bring him up back into it really quick. He did not want any part of Ngannou. When that Stipe fight happened, I remember the post fight commentary where I, I don't know if it was Rogan or Anik or which one of them said it, but, he was just like, so yeah, you want to jump in there with him? And Cormier was like, nope, 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 I'm good. <laughs> Enjoying retirement. He's <laughs> like, yep, right attitude to have, man. Don't don't be prideful. You know, let it go. You're 40 years old. You have a lot to live for. So just, <laughs> it was really a, it was really shocking to see 
how good Francis was, though, because his striking got even more crispy, and he apparently has like a, a takedown defense game and a wrestling game and a ground and pound game, and that's just not good for anyone because if you're stuffing Stipe's takedowns, you're stuffing pretty much everyone in that division's takedowns. So, man, going forward, <laughs> I have to I have to wrap it up here, but going forward, man. There are so many good fights and so many good champions right now. And we're going to get to see the next good champion emerge between the Chandler and Oliveira fight. And right now, the, the smart money puts their money on Charles Oliveira. If you have Michael Chandler in that fight, I'm sorry, man. Chandler, Chandler's powerful. He has good wrestling, but if, if you don't, if you don't think that Oliveira's stand up is where it needs to be, you're wrong. His ground game's always been there, so I'm not even gonna touch on that. If you think that's anything less than what it is, which is perfect, you're wrong. If you think that Charles Oliveira isn't more mature and technically sound and still has the age to be good, like he still has, like, he's like 26 or 27 or something. He still has the chin of a 20, a mid 20 year old. You know, it's not like he's been knocked out a bunch of times. Like he's had a lot of fights, not been knocked out very many times, if ever. Like I, I, I'm not even, I'm not looking at the stats in a second, but he, he, he is seldom touched and he has so many submission wins. He has such high level decoration. Like people thought Damian Maya had high level jujitsu and he does. Don't get me wrong. And BJ Penn, you know, before him, like all very, very high level, very, very reputable. But when it comes to the, Inclusion into their MMA game, Charles Oliveira just smokes those fools. And then, you know, he did kind of the opposite of Nganu, where, you know, Nganu had to develop his ground game and stuff. Well, Charles Oliveira knew his jiu-jitsu was at a certain level at a young age when he broke into the UFC. So he just, the last couple of years, all he's been doing is training stand-up, pretty much. You know, I mean, of course, I'm sure he grapples and stuff. You just keep fresh and limber and stuff. But by and large, most of his training has come with the pads and the hands and the feet and the legs, man. Like, <laughs> I'm excited for that card. So, there, I mean, there's so many good fights coming up. There's the, uh, the Pokraka versus uh, Dominic Reyes fight. It's a fight night coming up, I think, this weekend. And I there's just – guys, there are so many fights to be excited for. So I am going to wrap it up from here. And normally it would be, you know, served up on a nice silver platter for me from Sean – but this is Sporticus, and you have been Sports Entertained. Sporticus is now on Patreon. We have three tiers. $1, $2, and $5. You can get things like bonus episodes, chat forums, polls and voting, live stream Q&As, monthly giveaways, and fan recognition. Become a patron today.